Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked. A podcast where listeners discover how enterprise leaders are confidently automating document intake and accelerating their workflows to increase capacity and drive top-line revenue. I'm co-host Michelle Govea. And I'm co-host Chris Wells. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I'm co-host Michelle Govea. And I'm co-host Chris Wells. And we are excited to be joined today by Avi Katari, the practice director at Ephorus Group. Avi, welcome to the podcast. Hey, th- thank you, Michelle, for the warm welcome. And hi, Chris. Uh, it's it's so exciting to be part of this podcast and uh, share my insights uh, over here. Uh, so I'll, I'll just introduce myself if that's okay. And then I think we can uh, go ahead. Yeah, hey, so, Yeah. So, hey, uh, so I'm a practice director with the Everest Group. Uh, Everest Group is a strategic research advisory, which is also an analyst firm. And uh, we track the overall market when it comes to the outsourcing industry. We track both the uh, service providers in the enterprises and also the deal enablers within that. So it's a, it's a complete ecosystem that we deal with. And as far as my role is concerned, I deal with the insurance PPS practice where we cover areas both across LNA and the PNC domain. Uh, and as far as the uh, my roles and responsibilities are concerned, there, there are primarily two work streams that we work across. The first one is syndicated research where uh, we have our own peak rating where we rate all the service providers in the market for the enterprises. We produce state-of-the-market reports where we give a pulse of the market, what's going on in the market. We also go ahead and publish sort of thematic viewpoints uh, for anything which is going on within the uh, industry. And apart from that, we create service provider profiles also for the enterprises so that they can have a quick summary of all the providers that they want to engage with. So that's one part of the work stream that we work with. The second is the custom engagements that we uh, end up uh, doing for the clients, where we help them with various problem statements around their GTN strategy, competitive intelligence, account intelligence, or market opportunity assessment, et cetera. So, so it's, a, it's a multitude of things that we work across, but primarily driven around the outsourcing industry and that too, the area is insurance PPS. Fascinating. Your, uh, your viewpoint is quite unique uh, for this podcast. So I'm excited to, uh, to dig into some of the reporting that you've done recently. But I wonder if you wouldn't mind spending some time uh, for our audience talking about, you know, what what's the process for creating these reports? How do you decide which things are worth reporting on? Who do you talk to? And then how do you how do you like? What's the process of making the sausage to get this thing across the finish line? No, definitely, that's an interesting question that you have asked. So the process itself of what to cover for the next year starts. Uh, at the end of the year, where we decide that what are the topics that you want to explore. But our uh, work doesn't stop over there. We continuously go ahead and track the market. What are the recent developments that are happening? So last year, when we were preparing this particular agenda, uh, recession wasn't on the cut. People were thinking that recession was going to come, but it didn't happen. But then this year, we thought that, okay, it's picking up a stream. We should do something about it. And we went ahead and created a report around that. There's a recession viewpoint that we have created for the uh, the industry. That's just one of the examples that I'm taking. Taking uh, Apart from that, the generative AI is what is take, generating a lot of buzz right now. So we are thinking that, okay, we should be writing something about it, right? So what we tend to do is that there are certain areas that we have observed throughout the year uh, that we see that should be explored for next year for to educate the audience, to educate the enterprises and the service providers. So that, that's one way to look at it. But then we don't restrict ourselves to just those areas, when we see that there are latest developments which are happening and a lot of these macroeconomic factors which has impacted the industries, this year had been unprecedented like any other. If you look at any of the recent years, there were a lot of events which has happened, right? So we thought that, okay, these are also some of the things that we should be covering when it's happening because otherwise we'll just lose it, right? Last year was really about metaverse. Now, no one is talking about metaverse. Now it's all about generative AI, right? So it's all about... Changing so rapidly, we can't just wait for an year to come out with that. So that's broadly the process of selecting the topic for any of the viewpoints that you want to cover. And and I mean, once um, and we'll get into the details of, of the specific report that we're we're talking that we want to talk about today. Yeah, but 
in in general, once you've identified that theme and, and that space that you want to pursue, um, there's obviously some type of competitive landscape analysis that you do, right? To identify the companies that you'll you'll be assessing. How then, once you've selected those companies, do you vet them? Do you talk to the companies themselves? Do you talk to their customer base? Um, you know, just just curious how how you then take them to to rank them within the report and and compare them to one another. Yeah, so uh, so I think so. There are two kinds of reports that we are talking about. So so when we talk about peak, uh, which is where we rank all the companies and all the service providers, that's a, that's a proprietary uh, rating that Everest Group has developed. So there, what we do is the first step of that is uh, getting the request for information forms out for the service providers. We send them a detailed list of questions that we want them to answer. Are on and that's all about their existing uh, business landscape, about their current clients, about their contracts, and all which is there. That's mm-hmm. just the first step of it. The next step is that we ask them to schedule a call with us, uh, where uh, we go through all the details that have been shared with uh, with us. They they give us a presentation on their future, a looking view of how the industry is going to go about and uh, how they have performed against the industry. That's the second step. And then we also go ahead and reach out to some of their clients and do a reference survey of how their performance on some of those contracts have been. And that's also a very exhaustive list of questions that we go ahead and ask. We uh, explore all the elements around how the existing contractual performance is to uh, whether they would end up selecting some of these service providers in the future. So, so that, that's, an, uh, that's an overall process. That's, that's more external view to it, right? And that's just the the initial steps around it. But then we we feed in all the data that we we get from the service providers. Apart from that, we also have a market perspective because we talk to keep on talking to insurance enterprises and all. We use all of that to create a model around it, with which we call our peak model. And this model is is effectively used to create the peak rankings uh, for the industry. And then at the end of it, we have the ranking where we uh, go ahead and rate all the service providers in three categories, which is leaders, then comes a major contenders, and then comes the aspirants. So that, that's about that's uh, a bit about the process, how we go about it. It's a five-month-long journey. Uh, wow. In this process, we end up evaluating more than 20 service providers, at least when I talk about the insurance. Month, and we make sure that we leave no stones unturned because we want to get we want to give accurate picture to the enterprises that this is where the current industry looks at. So that, that, that's about the peak uh, report that we published. Uh, the second thing, which is which we're talking about the thematic viewpoints, right? some of the, the uh, industry relevant issues that we pick up, there we, do, we don't go as extensive as our peaks. We don't end up uh, talking with all the service providers, but when we pick where we are picking up any of the topics, we generally have an idea that which service providers are ha- are having a good lead in the market. So that's where we decide that, okay, we want to speak with a couple of service providers on this topic. We want to understand what they are doing in the market. That That's getting one side of the, uh, the industry. But then we also go ahead and uh, speak with some of the enterprise guys. We have a regular connect with them. We speak with them that what are their pain points? What are they seeing in the market? Are they even ready for what is happening in the market? Do they have a different view of of how the market is going to shape up. We combine both of this and then we have our own average group uh, uh, proprietary research that we keep on doing continuously. We use all of these elements to create a viewpoint and then we then we go ahead and present it into the market. So that, that's about the process when it comes to some of these viewpoints. Right on. And when you're talking to folks in the enterprise, what are some of the typical roles or personas that you're speaking with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so very, very. When it comes to insurance enterprise, uh, the lot of times the touch points are initial touch points are the the procurement managers. We end up dealing with the the procurement heads of the PPS and all. But from there on, depending on the uh, range of topic that uh, we are discussing with, they help us connect with the business stakeholders on their side. So, if it's on the LNA side or on the PNC, if the enterprise is dealing with multiple service lines, then we have to end up telling them that okay, we are looking for certain service lines that we are looking for certain topics, if we can find an expert for that. And they help us arrange for those calls. But our initial touch points are always through those procurement leads because uh, they are the ones who are in, who we are dealing with day in and day out. Interesting. And beyond the procurement folks, 
and this is not a lead, I'm trying not to make this a leading question. What's the incentive <laughs> for those folks to talk to you? Like, why do they pick up the phone when you ask? Yeah. So interestingly, Everest Group has a lot of, in fact, when I talk about the insurance enterprises, it has highest number of uh, enterprises as its customer. So we have two different kinds of membership, which is there. So one is outsourcing excellence membership, where they have access to the, the company-wide research that we are doing. And that's the biggest incentive that they have. Even enterprises want to know what other enterprises are doing, what service providers are bringing out in the market. They want to know that if I want to outsource in particular area, which is the service provider that I should go with versus the other. In fact, a lot of time what has happened is that we get, and they have an option of sending us an inquiry. We day in and day out get an inquiries from them that, okay, we want to understand that, okay, we want to outsource in this particular area. Do you have a list of service provider that we should go ahead and uh, consult with? What are their capabilities? Uh, do they have the, the right set of experience to serve us? So the, the, this is just one set of the question that I'm talking about. They also sometimes then when they want to uh, venture into a new area, at that time they end up asking us that, okay, we are planning to launch a new product around it. Uh, do you have some research done around it? Do you have a view of some of our other competitors, what they are doing and all? So these are the typical inquiries we keep on getting from them. So that's their biggest incentive. So when they talk to us, both of us learn in the process. Yeah. And that's where this this is a symbiotic relationship where uh, everyone has to gain from this conversation. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to call a quick timeout. There's a specific report we were going to mm -hmm. talk about, and I cannot for the life of me remember the name of it. And I want to reference it correctly. <laughs> what was the name, Avi? I, I thought... Yeah, Abby, I thought it was the the IDP and unstructured document processing. No, no, I don't okay. think that's the report. It's the okay. digital underwriting, building operational efficiencies across the underwriting life cycle. Okay, digital underwriting, building operational efficiencies. What was the across last? Across the underwriting life cycle. Across the underwriting life cycle. Okay. All right, I wrote it down so I can say it. It's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> That, 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 that's okay. All right, so we'll come back into this. Um, yeah. Do you do you want to kick it off with that, Chris, or do you want that me to? Kick yeah. It off bringing it up? Yeah, I've been talking a little bit here. <laughs> okay, so time in. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Avi, I think we'll stop uh, teasing the audience with it. So specifically, the report that we wanted to chat with you about today uh, was the digital underwriting, building operational efficiencies across the underwriting lifecycle report, which is a mouthful. Um, but it hits on a topic that we talk a lot about on the podcast, which is automation, workflow improvement, process efficiency as it relates to, to underwriting. So you know, given that we talk a lot with um, individuals at specific insurance um, companies in their process, I'd like to take it a step higher um, and just, you know, based on what, what's in the report, what are the major themes or trends that you're seeing in the market as it relates to um, these insurance companies and the desire to work with, with vendors for the underwriting workflow? Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a very interesting question. I can speak for it whole day, but I'm sure we don't have a whole day to discuss about that. <laughs> so, uh, so... You could so have coming, said it depends, right, Chris? And that would have been... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's the answer for all the questions. I can just get away with uh, I want to save it for those questions, which I don't know answer to. <laughs> but coming back to, to what you just asked, uh, so, so, see the the whole idea that we when we we went ahead and we wanted to write a report about digital underwriting is because last year before this JNAI came into the picture, one of the themes that we were seeing across the market is that claims and policy servicing had been outsourced. Like the, there's a situation that has came into the the, the market, right? And what are the new areas that enterprises were thinking about outsourcing? Obviously, some amount of outsourcing were happening in those areas, but then uh, underwriting was one of those areas, underwriting and actuarial, but touching upon underwriting because that's the uh, topic of this particular discussion. Underwriting was one of the areas where we saw that the outsourcing has been consistently increasing in the last two to three years. So that's where we we thought that, okay, this is a good area to explore. 
and then when then we came onto the other side of it and we, then we tried to go through the capabilities of the service providers that have they done something uh, which is different from the last year on the underwriting part and what we heard from them is that a lot of them had started developing digital underwriting solutions now uh, the adoption of those solutions is something that that still the verdict is still not out on that it's going to still take time for all the enterprise to embrace those solutions but so these solutions started existing in the market so that's where we thought that okay now this is where we want to write something about it now when it comes to the the key thought that the, the key pointers that we uncovered during this is that that underwriting itself is a complex process underwriters spend 60 70% of their time on non valued activities if we look at their current work profile and Uh, did you say sorry did you say 60 to 70% of their time yes yeah. yes 60 to 70% of their time on non valued activities and when we look at the uh, the amount that underwriter the, the uh, charges or what the enterprise have to spend on an underwriter it goes anywhere between $50 to $150 an hour that's huge now assuming that 60% of it is just getting wasted it that that that's really uh, something that company should be thinking about it especially in times where the claims uh, the issues have been going bad for the insurance enterprises they are taking a hit on their expense ratios and they are taking a hit on their bottom line and this is one area that they can easily go ahead and outsource because not a lot of outsourcing as has happened on right so that so, is where we- I'm sorry can i i want to interject yeah, yeah, so 70% non value add but does that non value add activity take is it like really specialized knowledge or training you have to have or is this sort of fungible activity no so okay so let me uh, i was thinking of delving into it a little bit later but since you have asked this question let me also put <laughs> right. across some of the uh, the those activities that they have to to take part of right and it which takes a lot of their time so the the biggest activity which takes their time is the initial submission intake process The problem with this activity is that what happens is that they they deal with brokers uh, day in and day out, and brokers usually end up asking for hundreds of documents from their clients, and they just dump it on the underwriters, irrespective of what the uh, the case is being considered for, what the documents are required. It's just a dump that goes there. Now, underwriter has to go through these. documents just to figure out that initial set of information bare minimum information is required to even start the process now that's just the first step of it the problem also happens is even though they are sending lot of the document that doesn't mean that they are sending all the required documents then there is lot of back and forth which also happens that okay this information is missing this document is not more, the most updated one can you send me the new version of it right so all this initial processing itself takes lot of days and there is back and forth with the customer which keeps on happening and this takes away lot of their time thank you and i would say i be the, the next step right is so all everything you described is the back and forth to just make sure that that submission is is what i call in good order right that you have everything yes. you need to to do analysis but once you get it in then you actually have to validate that the information is correct right and there's a lot of data um error potentially in some of those documents whether it's coming from the broker whether it's the the end insurer that maybe submitted something incorrectly or it doesn't line up with all the fields that that underwriter to input correctly so there's the 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 intake or the ingestion of of everything you need and then there's the validation that everything you need is in good order to even begin the process of doing the underwriting work right Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But what you are stating is is a real pain point within the industry, right? So, so, so like you mentioned, the first step itself is where getting the uh, those data points is a big problem. And then once that happens, even validating some of those data points, if the information which is being put across, whether it's the right set of information which is there or not, all these things takes a lot of their time and. uh an effort and then ultimately what happens is that it also results in a poor customer experience on the other side of it mm-hmm. so while the you have the most expensive resource in the industry dealing with this this particular activity which doesn't even require them to be part of the process and still at the end of it you end up antagonizing your customers because they have a very poor experience of the whole process 
so that, that's like the double whammy on the industry. They can have a better solution for it, which will not cause them as much and have a happy customer versus giving it to someone who is definitely not in for it. They didn't ask for it. Yeah, that's a big Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I was just going to apologize for disrupting your train of thought. You were going to take us down the road of talking about what the trends are in, in outsourcing. Yeah. So let's circle back to that. Yeah, so I think I mean, we'll, we'll circle back to these activities later. I mean, where all the, the, the digital underwriting can have a good amount of intervention and around it. But coming back to the the trends, uh, the, which I was discussing about, right? So... Uh, so from that perspective, we saw that okay, the this is one activity that can be the the be outsourced the most. There's a potential for outsourcing. There's a demand. There's demand that is there. There's a supply which is coming up. And the other factor which kind of helped during this process is the COVID. COVID kind of accelerated this trend. The reason, reason being that the talent wasn't available. Underwriting talent. If you look at the current insurance industry, okay, most of the, the uh, tenured resources are nearing to their uh, retirement cycle. So what's happening is and the new talent which the industry wants, it's not readily available. So that's where these enterprises thought that with the scarce amount of talent that is available, uh, we should rather deploy them to the core processes instead of you deploying on to these non-valued activities. So that's where they started thinking about outsourcing these activities to uh, service providers. Now, on the other end, what happened is that these service providers, while they developed these digital solutions, but they also started getting the right talent and the people with domain expertise to help build these, these uh, digital underwriting solutions and also have operational resources to uh, cover for the exceptions which are going to be generated out of, out of this process. And this is where this worked really well for the industry. And as far as what we have seen, so we we started the process of writing this paper a year back. And we released it, uh, not a year back as such, but a couple of months back uh, around that. And we released it after that. And it's been six months since uh, we would have released this paper. Still, we are hearing from the market that more and more digital underwriting solutions are coming into the picture. In fact, the interesting thing is that some of the Gen AI use cases that I'm hearing, they are also targeted towards underwriting. So that's an interesting thing that the one activity where there was literally no outsourcing happening before two, three years to where it is being considered a candidate for a generative AI use case. It's it's just something that someone would have not imagined a couple of years back. Yeah. We're probably going to have you back next year to talk about how generative AI has impacted the underwriting workflow. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, but, and, and this may be taking us uh, back to the point that you're going to make later. And if so, um, please don't let me divert you any further. But the question that that comes to mind is of the the vendors that that you are looking at are are they solving for digital tools to to the I don't want to call it for the benefit, but for the underwriter themselves to use or digital tools to streamline the process so that the underwriter can focus on different work. So meaning, are they are they outsourcing some of the process so that it can be a straight through underwriting workflow, freeing up the underwriter to do a different type of or, or more specialized or product lines or something like that? Or are they digital tools that the underwriter is actively in? that just has improved how efficient they can be in their day-to-day? So, so Michelle, an interesting question. And my uh, response to this is that both I'm seeing both in the market. So, so starting with first, right, which is about streamlining the process. So that is where having a, a digitized workflow or bringing in some of these uh, sub, uh, the submission ingestion tools, which, which works around extracting the the documents in a digitized fashion using OCR and IDP and then uh, using some of, also using potential Gen AI tools on top of it to make sure the extraction is uh, almost there and there, there are very less amount of man, uh, manual uh, exception errors which are being generated. And two, having some of those web portals for the customers and self-service tools so that they can track the overall process from the start itself. They don't have to be dependent on the broker to uh, understand the whole process. So these the, the, the initial steps where it, 
it was about solving the the overall process and then when it comes to triaging there are triaging solutions also uh, which came into picture these are the these three processes were being streamlined through digital tools but the next set of tools that came in which was around risk and pricing those were enablers for underwriters so while underwriters were taking right now most of the decisions through the amount of experience generated and through their intuition and gut what these risk risk and pricing tools are enabling them is to take those decisions better so is this risk solutions which are available they take into account so many different data sources which underwriter didn't had access to earlier it uses the uh, historical data to draw out the trends and then creates a risk profile of the customers of the potential customer using all that data set which is available so that before even that case comes to the underwriter underwriter has some clue of what sort of risk i am looking into now that doesn't mean that underwriter is blindly taking the decision just on the risk profile that is being created that's just the step one to it it is there then underwriter applies his logic and uh, whatever rules that he internally has and takes an underwriting decision but this is definitely a good enabler to start now on the other end of it we are also seeing lot of places that there is straight through processing within the underwriting which is happening there where the underwriters are not involved that is also one of the area which is more process driven where what mm-hmm. underwriters have done is that they have uh helped create those tools and those rule based engines and which are the critical rules which needs to be uh, assessed for going through straight through processing of a particular case and after defining those rules and going through multiple iterations they have made the system so full full proof that certain amount of coverages and certain kind of policies just goes through straight through and only the complex cases are where the underwriters uh, have to deal with and take those underwriting decisions yeah you know, yeah go ahead Michelle. we obviously have a lot of questions cuz yeah. i'm very fascinated by this um the, the report was was great i i wonder from from your perspective and i know that um within lines of business there can be um you know different needs to to your point some of it is more straight through processing some of it is tools for the underwriters um taking it a step up just broadly between property and casualty and life and accident are you seeing trends or areas of focus from from your customers or are they divergent a little bit just by nature of of that type of insurance so for, so interestingly we talk about both life and annuities and the property and the casualty right so uh, so the, the focus of the paper was purely around the commercial lines within the property and the casualty mm-hmm. but what what we have been seeing is that the amount of straight through that's happening across that differs so if we if we talk just about the personal and the commercial lines uh, within the property and the casualty personal is where most of the straight through processing has started happening yeah. commercial is where uh, the intent is to go through straight through processing at least for some of the cases but right now uh, it is being done more manually and when we look at specialty lines within the uh, property and casualty that that is where the scope is the minimal at this point of time because of the nature of the uh, the risk that comes into picture or over there so now that, on the other scope sorry for the specialty lines is the scope then sort of restricted to the earliest parts of the process the data entry or has it creeped past that no i think it it is it has more to do with the data entry only the, the reason being that we are talking about the the cyber insurance or we are talking yeah. about dno or we are talking about marine there are not enough even for the uh, the service providers or any tech enabler to develop a solution around it they need a robust amount of data to create those risk models the problem is that that data doesn't exist at this point of time you get these risk once in a while right and even the nature of the risk keeps on changing over the overnight so that's where developing a digital solution for this segment of the market is going to be a little bit more difficult it it might happen somewhere down the line future when there's good amount of data to back it up but at this point of time it's it's one of the most difficult thing to achieve yeah that makes sense sorry continue your train of thought yeah. i interrupted again yeah so so that that's on the personal and the commercial lines now when when i come to the other side of it which is the uh, life and the annuity 
here the amount of straight through processing is definitely on the higher side when it come when compared to pnc the reason being that the the if we look at the nature of the business which is there around life and annuity okay, lot of things are are predictable in a way and lot of you can train an underwriter engine to look at these certain parameters which underwriters are looking right now no? and create a risk profile around the customer you have certain list of questions that that you the, as that are part of those insurance form and that are being asked by your customer and you just take that into account along with that all the the past claims related data its medical data that's available and all of it you just combine all of it and you can easily create a risk profile so the amount of straight through processing over there is definitely on the higher side right compared to uh, the when we look at the pnc and i think that that's going to be trend going forward in the future uh, life and annuity is always going to uh, surpass the pnc when it comes to automation especially on the underwriting yeah that that makes a ton of sense so with all of that as background what do you see as sort of what are the trends that are just starting to emerge like where especially with commercial lines and property and casualty where do you see those industries headed in terms of uh, automation in the near term yeah so i i think uh, uh, i like to break it down by uh, the personal commercial and the specialty line the reason being all the the nature of the business is fundamentally different all that so so like i mentioned earlier in personal uh, the straight through processing has completely penetrated into the market right now if you look at it, it in most cases uh, those the, the for for the personal lines the digital solutions which are available in the market they have they have been implemented in some shape and form so that is where the market is looking for more new next gen ai kind of solutions that okay. okay what additional you can bring in into apart from some of it has already been implemented so what what is the next for the industry so they are they are talking more about okay how can so so this is what has happened there are there's already a digital underwriting solution which is available but now if i want to enable my underwriter even more for those uh complex cases that the underwriter is considering so so is there a potential chat gpt kind of a solution which is available which can where underwriter can ask a question and get a response based on all the hundreds of data that is sets that are available well, instead of scraping through that data and taking like 40 50 minutes on a single case so that's where the industry is looking forward to but when it comes to commercial line the industry is still learning about it and implementing the digital underwriting solutions so that is where obviously because it's a new flavor in the market so everyone ask once in a while that okay is there some gen ai component in it or not but uh, when it comes to implementation they are still looking at more rudimentary solutions which are available in the market yeah i think specialty is where uh, the, if you look at the curve they are going to be far behind uh, personal and the commercial lines the reason being that while they also are looking at various technologies to enable their business but it's still going it's still about figuring out the the fundamentals of the business first if we talk about cyber the uh, cyber insurance while there are a lot of cyber claims that has happened in the last few years the problem is that the nature of these claims keeps on changing even the the companies which are into these uh, they don't have ability to launch new products design new products or go ahead and underwrite some of those risks because the risk keeps on changing so that is where their reliability is more on their underwriters to help them versus these some of these commercially available solutions because neither the adoption nor the uh, competency of some of these tools are at par with personal and the commercial lines and i i think too i mean right the for those specialty lines where the the process is in need of or the goal is to automate some of the the data intake right or um hit those third party systems to to bring in data automatically those those data sources aren't as fully baked or robust as some of those that are used more broadly in commercial or personal lines so um you're still there's still gaps in the data even if you are trying to automate that process um whereas to your point in, pers- in personal and in broad commercial you've got you know public and private data sets that can be purchased that are pretty pretty close to being um complete i'd say yeah definitely you are right uh, the, the the biggest problem this in, so insurance is as an industry is a risk covers industry so the problem is that that anywhere they they end up seeing risk in any of the activities that they are attaining they will take a back step to it 
So right now, with there are there are still some publicly available data sources on the speciality lines. But the problem that the with those data sources that they are not complete. They uh, and uh, industry doesn't trust those data sources. So that's why that's where they end up taking a back step into it. But the ones which are available for the personal and the commercial lines, uh, they are tried and tested. They have been used by the industry uh, long before all of this came into picture. So that is where the reliability comes into picture and they are okay with trusting some of those models. For sure. Yeah. That's that's why it's, you know, for startups coming in, in, in my world, it's both intriguing to see where what is these these new data sets, how are you acquiring the information, but then it is also a challenge when you're up against some of these incumbents vendors um, that you may actually be supplemental and hopefully not 100% competitive because to your point, it's a challenge to to break through <laughs> and, yeah, and beat, beat out one of the, the big players. No, no, definitely. And I think what keeps on happening is that as soon as uh, some of these big players, they see that, okay, uh, there's a startup or an insurtech which is doing good, they'll end up either partnering with them or acquiring them uh, instead of letting them uh, uh, grow. So also that's it. And the ones that are not ticking in the market, they're anyways getting thrown out of the market, especially now since the valuations have dropped off some of these startups and insurtechs, they are even struggling to get business and survive. So it's it's all a game of survival now for these startups. And the only way that some of these startups and insurtechs can move ahead is by partnering with these large players. They can't go ahead and create a market on silos. The reason being that they don't have the capability or the experience to handle it. Interesting. We talked a lot about uh, digital underwriting, and I just want to sort of uh, widen the view a little bit. Are you seeing, or anybody that you, you know, your colleagues at Everest, are you seeing similar trends in claims? Yeah, so uh, on the claim side, obviously claims had been digitized much before than the, the overall underwriting came into the picture. So what we are seeing on the claim side is that, that initially it, it was all about uh, the, the the admin work which was around claims right a lot of it has been outsourced and um, like i mentioned earlier it has been saturated but now the the kind of asks which are coming on that side especially on the automation front is that uh, whether you can identify the claims leakage for me so what we are seeing interesting trend that we are seeing in the industry is that um, service providers are putting the skin in the game, they are saying that you give me X, Y, you give me this whole, what of whatever claims uh, outsourcing that you can to me, you give me end-to-end process to outsource. And what in a way I'll help you do is that I'll help you identify the claims leakage. And I don't, and the deal is structured in such a way that instead of service providers being charged upfront about uh, being charging upfront about the resources and all, they go into gain-share kind of construct where out of the percentage of the savings that they are able to generate for the insurance enterprise, they take a cut off. So that's where what we are seeing is that that with the the and, and this 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 hasn't happened overnight. It's not like there's some claims leakage solution which is just which was just available with the uh, service provider and they, they came with a magic wand and they just help the enterprises. It has gone through the journey. So it started with getting those uh, data into order. The first step was making sure that the data is available, that the data is structured, that the data is flowing through the systems and all. It's getting captured in the right way. And right now they've reached to a stage where they have 100% visibility of the data. Using all of that data, they are confident that they can go ahead and stop some of those leakages which have been happening. So that's an interesting trend that we are seeing over here. And like I said, the Gen AI uh, solutions are being developed on the underwriting side. Similarly, we are seeing trends on the claim side where uh, using some of this data set and the Gen AI capabilities, uh, the, leak, the, the main intention is to prevent as much leakage as possible. Yep, that makes sense. I want to... I, I think I'll probably get fired if I don't ask a direct Gen AI question, but I don't want to. I don't want to go there too too soon. So, Michelle, anything else you wanted to do to tie a bow on this topic? Just that I think um, it will be interesting to track um, Abby both the the continued insights on the underwriting reports that come out, but also on the claims because um, the other item that we talk a lot about is how they're they're connected, right? That the more you understand about underwriting 
the better your claims you, you know should be and then the, the more insight you have on the claims that should inform your underwriting and hopefully streamline and help automate some of those processes on the front end so um you know i recognize they're two separate groups within everest working on that but um, it'll be interesting to see if those trends continue to align in kind of a similar fashion so so it it's it's the same team which keeps a track of both uh, the the claims and the underwriting whatever digitization that's happening on the claims front um and and you are 100% correct right i mean the so, so so it's kind of a uh, a cycle where where you understand the first then you are better able to predict this the the other one right so initially it all started with the claims and the the reason that right now service providers are confident about some of their underwriting solutions is because they have a very good handle over claims data they have mm-hmm. worked through this claims data across years they understand the nature of the business they have developed their domain expertise around that claims data and the, then and they are using that to to nurture their underwriting talent their service providers underwriting talent which is there and also develop some of these models and this this synergistic capabilities between the two is also being utilized by the enterprises so when when you look at the underwriters helping design some of those rule engines lot of this data set comes from the actual claims data uh, which is there that because there, there there was a claim which happened somewhere was someone was not able to predict that better earlier so that came out as a call out in the new set of data which was coming through that that okay just taking an example of cyber insurance that right? new kind of cyber insurance uh, the risk claim started coming in so that's where industry started i think the current products are not relevant for the industry they have to design new products and how do you do it did by using that claims data that's just one example out it right if even if we look at the personal and the commercial lines there also we saw that the lot of these claims exposure which was coming through this help uh, take decisions for new product launch for developing some of those risk and underwriting models which were there for for pricing them as well right you uh, or interestingly enterprise are using the claims data to understand that okay I, initially it was one size fit all approach but now they don't want to want to do it they want to have a customized approach for each of this their customers so that's where how do you do be, beyond the public available data which is already there what is the next thing that you can utilize to offer a customized offering it's obviously the claims data that you have apart from the other data set about the customer and all but claims is is an actual predictor of okay how how this particular policy that i am issuing is going to perform in the future right so that's where the, the point that you mentioned makes sense 100% great all right and now the the big question <laughs> pull out the crystal ball uh in insurance where you know where you spend your days um one do you think we're close to or past the peak of the gen ai hype cycle and two what use cases or applications of gen ai in these industries that you're an expert in do you think are going to stick we are we are nowhere past the hype cycle we are just starting to be honest we are we are eight months into it from the time the, the this gen ai revolution started yeah. but it just feels like we are just starting we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg right now we we still have to encounter a lot so right now when we look at the industry what's happening is that see, there was a mad rush for, within the industry to develop the genius use cases because everyone everyone knew that everyone is going to ask for it most of the insurance enterprise even if they are at a stage where they can't even implement ai but they have started asking about genius solution right. so so even if the so it's a, it's it's a must have solution as part of the portfolio so that's where what happened within the industry that most of the service providers started realizing that that okay i need to do something about it uh, interestingly insurance what everyone knows that insurance was at the first uh, such industry where the genai applications started right? it all start if you look at the ppo industry it all started with the customer experience like contact center that's where the first use cases started getting developed but then once uh, these large language models people started realizing the potential of them that's where the insurance industry also started developing some of those use cases in areas like underwriting claims policy servicing and all and uh, they started doing a poc with the client so so interestingly what what they are doing right now is that 
they they don't have full blown solutions available that they can commercially deploy across multiple clients what they are doing is that they they develop a use case they take it to a client uh when client agrees to it they do a poc for a portion of that business if that succeeds then they get then the idea is to implement it to across the larger business and take it to other customers so through the, what's happening through this approach is that they are able to test multiple ideas at the same time instead of putting all their eggs in the in the one basket where they end up developing a solution and then a competition beats them to it with a better solution or with a better use case they are they are taking a different approach they are they are looking at all the possible use cases which can be developed but they are prioritizing the ones where there are most interest which are being generated from the enterprise side so that that's a novel approach that they are taking to genia and i think when when we look at it from the everest perspective also we also think that that's the right approach to go with instead of just developing a solution but because usually developing a full blown solution is going to take some amount of time and you don't want to miss it uh, if you end up developing a wrong solution at this stage no so i think uh, that that's that's more on the approach part of it that's what we are seeing in the industry now uh, the when you uh, mentioned about uh, the some of the use cases uh, which i'm seeing in the market yeah what do you think so, is tech so, so to be honest, it's too early to say, and I think I like to use it depends right now. There you go. Which Michelle said it's earlier. Michelle gets five dollars every time someone says that on the podcast. I encourage it. <laughs> so, uh, so coming back to to the to the topic, right? So I think uh, more than the the what solution is going to take the market. i think what we should look at is which are the solution which are going to get implemented first and what's going to next come in line because it's it's not a revolution that's going to stop i think metaverse was something where initially it was similar hype what it is right now for genii but it didn't stuck around for long because there weren't made that many possible number of use cases that were there for the industry but genii is huge like people have been using the enterprises and the service providers have been using ai from so long it's a natural extension of the those and the, that particular capability and bringing in genia capabilities into it right so it's not going to go down as a hype anytime soon so the initial set of use cases and th- these are just the preliminary ones that we are seeing in the market some of it is around underwriter underwriter thing process which is about underwriting assist where like i mentioned earlier that underwriter gets a chat gpt kind of an interface where for any of the case that underwriter is working on underwriter can type in the, those questions in that particular solution and they can end up getting response to it instead of scraping through those 50 documents which are there this underwriting solution genia solution is going to extract information from all the the data that's going to get captured through brokers and it's aiding the underwriters in taking that decision now how it's going to help underwriter is that right now if it if you look at any of the cases which underwriters doing it it underwriter typically spends around 50 minutes to 60 minutes in assessing that particular case now if even if they are these underwriting solution the genia solution that's available in the market is able to reduce that time by 50% that's a huge win for the underwriter so that that that's one on the underwriting side the second that we are seeing is around the claim side which i mentioned which is about stopping the potential claims leakage which is where they are ingesting lot of these claims data signals which are coming from multitude of sources and they are predicting that okay which which kind of claims are the ones where there is a potential of leakage what are the initial step itself that you can enable the the claims agent to take into so that leakage can be stopped at that point instead of system detecting it later on so that's more on the claim side there are also some of the other solutions which are around generating insights from the large data set which is there which helps the enterprise uh, at a top level so uh, let's say a cfo gets 100% visibility of the data so what what we are interestingly seeing is that um, the with these models the cfo can just write that okay i want to uh, the So the summary of my sales of xyz product in the last four years it's going to automatically generate the graph and the insights around it yeah uh, and these solutions are 
are increasingly being pitched to the top management because that is where the use of these solutions are, are much higher. I think yeah. these, these are some of the areas. We've we've seen a number of, of those um, use cases or solutions coming up as well. Just basically, how do you interact with your data, yeah. um, right? In, in an easy way. And typically, these what you're talking about, Avi, is they're being geared towards business users, not data users, right? And so that's that's I think a trend that we're starting to see in terms of um, the value proposition that some of these companies are trying to use generative AI to solve for. Yeah, definitely, and I think. Uh, if if you look at the key decision makers also they are not the those data users they are the business users right and and yeah. gen ai is something that's a that has become a cxo agenda right now or someone at the top is driving uh, that agenda instead of a business user or going ahead and saying that i want a gen ai solution in my day to day operations can can i please get one right so that is where targeting them makes much more sense versus targeting uh, some of those data users because you might not get that high adoption if you target this limited set of those users. Absolutely. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. You've been listening to another episode of Unstructured Unlocked with my co-host, Michelle Govea, and our extremely engaging and uh, unbelievably knowledgeable guest, Abby Kothari, Practice Director at Everest Group. Abby, thank you. Thank you so much, Chris uh, and Michelle. I think it it had been a learning experience for me as well. I think lo- knowing from you that what you also have been hearing and seeing in the market and what's happening. So I think definitely we are going to use some of it in the <laughs> the next set of reports that we are going to publish. And we'll definitely be in touch if there's something that that's there. I'll uh, reach out to you and I'll just get your perspective on it. And I, I'm sure you would have other hosts to ask some of these questions too. So I'll get a market perspective as well from you. Looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Be sure to follow at Indico Data on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, Automator.